Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift of giving us this opportunity to worship you together today. We pray, Lord God, that you would be powerfully present here with us today, that you would open our hearts that we might receive your good news, Lord, and that you might place your hope in my mouth that I might proclaim it faithfully to your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's so good to see you all today. Well, I, for one, was thrilled on Wednesday. Right? Anyone know what happened on Wednesday? Snow was falling. Buckets of snow, right? Buckets and buckets of snow in the mountain. No more getting rained out up at Sugar Bowl, right? No more of that miserable downpour that I was experiencing the last couple times I'd gone skiing. Because that's horrible. Anyone ever skied in the rain before? Oh, you might be on snow, but the rain is in you, right? It's horrible. It just pours down you. And even my waterproof pants, it was seeping through the seams, right? Down into my boots. Do you know how miserable that is? For it to be 35 degrees and have water in your boots? Right? It's horrible. It's not worth skiing when it's like that. But this was different. Right? This Wednesday, it was cold. Cold, very cold, bitter cold. But that meant the snow was just gorgeous. I mean, it was the real powder, right? Just deep and dry. You could blow it and it would go... Oh, it was amazing, right? And so as me and my friend Zach were up there, uh, we would drop into into these just untouched bowls of powder. And it just came rolling up our bodies, just leaving a cloud behind us as we went down. And know what I was doing? I was going, woo-hoo! Bouncing and jumping and flying through that snow. I was just, it, it was effervescent how it felt, right? It was wonderful. It was like skiing through down feathers. It was just beautiful. It felt like I was flying. And it was completely redemptive. Right? After those last two times of the rain pouring down me, instead... This time was how it should have been, and I welcomed the storm with joy because I was prepared for it, I was looking forward to it, I was expectant about it, and when it hit, it filled me with complete hope. Now, we turn now to the book of Zephaniah for our study today. Everyone knows a lot about Zephaniah, right? Anyone name her kid Zephaniah? I think it's a great name. Like Jeremiah, it has that ring, the Aya ends, I love those. Uh, We know very little about Zephaniah, so if you find yourself woefully unprepared for a study of Zephaniah, that's okay because there's not much to know about the guy. He prophesied during the reign of King Josiah, so which happened between the years 640 and 609 BC, uh, and he was in the southern kingdom. Remember, after King David and after King Solomon, uh, there was one... For a partial reign of a king, the kingdoms were united, and then after that it split up into the northern kingdom of Israel, with Samaria as its capital, and the southern kingdom of Judah with what city as the capital? Jerusalem! You're all over it, that's right. And so Zephaniah was in that southern kingdom of Judah with King Josiah as his king. Now the main thrust of this letter, it's only three chapters long, it's a quick letter, Uh, The main thrust of this is a warning in a series of prophecies about the coming day of God's judgment. 
This day in the Old Testament they often refer to as the day of the Lord. Anyone ever heard that expression before? Right, the day of the Lord. You see it a lot in these uh, Old Testament prophetic books. It was the day when God would come down and rescue his people and judge all the nations. It was the day of their deliverance. In this book, uh, the Lord references judging the Philistines, Moab, Ammon, Cush, Assyria. These are all the bad guys, right? And then he references judging Jerusalem. Is that how it was supposed to go? No, if you're in sitting in Jerusalem, how is the judgment supposed to go? Who's supposed to get judged? Everybody else, right? You're sitting in your place and you think, no, everybody else should get the judgment. We'll be right here and watch. You know, pop some popcorn, light a fire maybe, watch them get judged, and then sit here and enjoy our couch on this nice chilly evening. No, but that's not how it was, right? I mean, you can imagine the people in Jerusalem being startled when they hear that they are among the people who God will judge. And this was startling because God was supposed to come and deliver them, to set them free from the oppression of their enemies, to get the bad guys, liberate them who they thought were the good guys. Why were they then going to be judged just like all the other nations? Well, the reason is, is because they'd become just like all the other nations, right? If it looks like, I mean, they looked just like those other nations. They looked like the Philistines, Moab, Ammon, Cush, and Assyria. They worshipped the same gods. They followed the same religious festivals as them. They did all the same stuff. They didn't look any different than them. So why would they be judged any differently? They were just like those nations that surrounded them. They had left God behind. They had completely forgotten his deliverance of them and his role as their king. The nation of Judah had forgotten God. And so they would be judged just like all those other nations that had no room for God either. They were no different from the people who were oppressing them in their disbelief of God. So, according to Zephaniah, God promises to wipe out all those nations. And then in our section of scripture that we have, uh, in our bulletin insert, we see that Zephaniah has a prophecy of deliverance for the world, and in particular, Jerusalem. Now, does that seem interesting to any of you? Right, we're talking about judgment, 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 then we read our Zephaniah passage, and it's all about, woohoo, God's coming back. Right? Does this strike you as odd? Because the verses immediately following our passage are talking about this judgment, talking about that God is going to come back and judge everybody. Somehow, there's a change from the fear of judgment to joy at the approaching of the Lord. And that is a big change, don't you think? Right? That's a biggie. This radical turn makes no sense initially, but the reason it takes place is there in the text of Zephaniah for us to see. The third sentence of our reading says, The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. Why will God do this? Why will he go from wiping them out to the people to becoming their then people receiving God with joy? Well, what we get from Zephaniah is that the king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. According to Zephaniah, The Lord God 
is there in the midst of these people, and their judgments are taken away, and their enemies are turned away. Does this story sound uh, familiar to any of you? The king being in the midst of his people, and judgment and condemnation being taken from them? Come on, it's our story. You know this one. So who is that king, the Lord, who would be in the midst of their people? Anyone know his name? Jesus, that's right. The true king, king of kings and lord of lords. And who takes away their judgments from them and from us? Jesus, that's right. And who turns our enemies away from us? Jesus, that's right. I want to hear some more Jesus. Okay, all right, good. I want you all to be sure about this, right? There is one person who does this all, and it is our Lord God. He's the one who is in our midst. He is the one who takes away our judgments. He is the one who turns our enemies away from us. He is the one who has done it all for us. And how did he do this? What event took place that he, in which he conquered all death forever? Dying on the cross, exactly. All right, those are the easy ones, right? Those are the hanging curveballs. Those are the easy questions. I got a tough one for you now, right? Okay, so if God did all this stuff, what role did the people of Israel play in their own deliverance? What was it I want to hear louder? Nothing. That's right. The people of Israel did absolutely nothing to deliver themselves. In fact, they were the ones with the shovel digging the hole, right? They were digging their own grave, basically, as what the people of Israel were doing. They had no ability, no even concept of how to deliver themselves. Instead, God stepped into their world and delivered them. Just as King David killed the giant Goliath for the people, so did King Jesus kill death and sin for us on our behalf. We merely, just like the people of Israel in that story of King David, were spectators in the victory. In Zephaniah, because of what God has done for his people, they could go from fear to rejoicing when the king came to them because he had wiped the slate clean. He had taken their judgment upon himself. Because now... The Lord was not coming to judge them, but to be united with them. Now, what does this mean for us? Right, we live uh, 2,600 years after this event. Well, the path for salvation is through Jesus Christ. still is. It always has been. They didn't know who Jesus Christ was in the Old Testament, but faith in God was always the way to salvation. And we are reconciled to God through the blood of Christ and his victory over sin and death. And we can rejoice then to see him coming if we accept his free gift of salvation. For we know it's not for our judgment when he comes back, but for our redemption. And so just like that storm on Wednesday would have been miserable if I was not looking forward to it and prepared, right? If I'd gone up in jeans and a t-shirt thinking I was getting a nice spring day, would I have been disappointed on Wednesday? Yes, because yes, I would not have been prepared. I wouldn't have been expecting the event. But instead, because I was ready and looking forward to it, it filled my heart with joy because I was expecting its arrival. 
but the message of Zephaniah, in addition to being one of joy at, at receiving our king, is also a cautionary tale. Right? And that's because we know the history around which this happened. Right? The people who heard the words of Zephaniah, do you think they responded? No, they didn't. And in the year 597 B.C., so eight years after the death of King Josiah, Jerusalem was overrun, and the people were taken into captivity in Babylon because they had forgotten the Lord their God. God's word should rest heavily upon us so that we don't become complacent and become too comfortable of being God's people. There should always be an edge to us where we're always looking at our heart and and our lives and saying, are we walking in the way of the Lord? Are we turning over our brokenness to God continually and receiving his grace in return? Are we really excited about our relationship with Jesus Christ? If not, we should take this season of Advent, we should take some time to pause, to reevaluate our relationship. Because we don't want to be like Israel, who lost track of God and received judgment. Instead, we want to be faithfully awaiting his coming, ready for him, so that when he comes on the clouds, we will with joy receive our king, the one who we have always waited for and the one we have always longed for. Because he is worth receiving with joy. He is worth investing this effort right now in. And it will pay off immense dividends in the future if we do. So may we be people who prepare our hearts to receive our King. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for the words of Zephaniah. Thank you for making him a faithful prophet to you. Lord, and we pray that you would give us soft hearts that we might receive your word and that it might seep down deep inside of us. Lord, shine your light into the darkness in our souls, Lord, that we might be redeemed. Help us, Lord, to not be complacent, to not get comfortable, Lord, with our relationship with you, but rather to always be seeking to deepen it and to encourage it, Lord, and for greater strength and joy in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.